welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is February 1st, and today we're going to look at Genesis 32. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter in the Bible, and then I explain uh, uh, key ideas and themes and the theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. Well, let's get into our reading from Genesis 32 today. Genesis Genesis 32 says this, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Maenaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Sur, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps." Please deliver me uh, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the same as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so he stayed there that night. And from what he had uh, with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 lambs. 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, uh, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between droves and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He is likewise instructed the, the second and the third in all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is, is ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And then the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Well, this is today's reading from Genesis 32. You know, whenever we we face trouble, we usually look for others for support. And so regardless of those and what others may say, things seem much easier when we know that somebody is on our side. If human allies give us confidence, think of how much more we should have knowing that, that God the Almighty is on our side. And ever since he spoke to Adam and Eve after the fall, repentant sinners have known the Lord is with them in their war against the world, the flesh, and the devil, as we see in 1 John 2. God has dictated the terms of the confrontation between the woman's seed and the serpent's offspring, and the guarantees of victory for the woman's seed means that he will be with his people to vanquish Satan, as we see in Genesis 3.15. Now, in the days of unbridled wickedness, the Lord was with Noah, guarding his family from wholesale destruction, as we've seen in Genesis 6.1 through 9.17. And despite their sins, the Creator maintained fellowship with Abraham, furthering his purpose to save his people through him. Now, today we are assured of Christ's presence with us until the end of the age in Matthew 28, 20. And as we look at Genesis, we need to recall how the Lord has been with Jacob. God God's used Laban to discipline Jacob harshly, and yet the Lord kept his promise to be with Jacob and prosper Jacob and pat him at Ram. Now, today what we're seeing in this chapter is God reassures Jacob of faithfulness. That is, having left Laban behind, Jacob knows that he must face the threat of his brother Esau and Canaan. And like anyone in his shoes, Jacob approaches Esau with fear and trepidation. He is most deferential in his message to to his brother. And he needs to know the Lord is on his side in the midst of this situation. And you see, God gives this reassurance to him even before Jacob sends messengers to Esau. Jacob is again granted a vision of the angelic host. And seeing the encampment of the Lord's army, it encourages Jacob to go and meet Esau. As well it should, for we know angels are powerful servants. Hebrews uh, uh, 1, uh, 13 through 14 says, For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation, that is the purpose of angels. No, And so no matter our situation, we who are the true sons of Abraham, according to Galatians 3.29, and thus of Jacob, can be sure that God has sent his angels for our benefit as well, as we see in Psalm 91.11 through 12. We must never forget today that the host of heaven fights for the people of God in their war against the principalities and powers and those who enslave the human race, as we see in Ephesians 6.12. That is to say, in accordance with the Lord's sovereign will, uh, angels keep watch over us to, pr- to help promote our final good for the people of God. And though sometimes God permits them to let danger and even trouble come our way for the sake of his good and sovereign plan, we can nevertheless be assured we have powerful allies in our fight against the enemies. Genesis 32 is more proof of, the, of Jacob's slow move from self-reliance to dependence on the Lord. God used Jacob's scheming to give him Esau's birthright, but Jacob's deceit did not please him. 
Uh, Jacob was once again blinded to his sin, but but now he addresses Esau far more deferentially than his culture. Now, clearly the spirit is convicting Jacob, and he feels guilty for wrongdoing against Esau. Now, Jacob again displays a deepening trust in the Lord in our chapter. His envoy to Esau returns without news of his older brother's reply. Only the ominous signs of Esau's approach with 400 men in verse 6 is reported. That is to say, Moses does not often describe a personal's emotional state, and thus the reference to Jacob's fear and distress, it emphasizes the dread that has seized him. Jacob divides his clan into two groups so, so that one may escape if Esau attacks. Nehemiah, among other biblical writings, teaches that wise preparation is consistent with faith in the Lord. And although Jacob is likely motivated more by fear than by wisdom, we must say. And yet Jacob's prayer reveals his faith is really real. Matthew Henry writes, acute apprehension of danger may coexist with a humble confidence in God's power and promise. True faith does not mean fear is wholly absent. Our trust in the Lord may be strongest when we fear men, but obey God anyway. John Calvin says Jacob's prayer shows his faith finally conquered his fear. Jacob's pleas demonstrate his growing consciousness of his need to depend on the Almighty. Since he confesses his unworthiness in verse 10, he reminds God of his promises in verse 9 and 12, and he appeals to his compassion on women and children in verse 11. Isaac's son is learning that apart from the Lord, his best efforts are worthless. Many Psalms also remind us of the Lord and of his promises to deliver his people, especially Psalm 17, Psalm 22, and Psalm 26. You see, God never forgets his pledge to us. But it is not impious to ask him to recall and to act according to his promise in the word. In fact, we can remind the Lord of his words only if we believe he will keep them. As such, faith fuels effectual prayer according to Matthew 21, 21. Matthew Henry says, the best way that we can say to God in prayer is what he has said to us. John Calvin wrote that those who think faith is exempt from fear have no real experience of living by faith. God nowhere promises that he that we will not suffer or become afraid in this life. And yet what he does promise is that fear will not prevail and thereby overwhelm us in despair. You see, you can know that your faith is real if in your fear you continue to pray and do the right thing. Confess your fears to the Lord and ask the Lord to help you. You know, fear remains a factor among the God's people. True. Fearfulness is not ideal, and even some biblical heroes seem to fear nothing, uh, for example, in Daniel 6. And yet, until we're like Jesus totally, we were still battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear, but love, faith, and hope, according to 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, will not be perfected in us until the final day of our redemption, as 1 John 3.2 says. Christ destroyed sin's power, according to Romans 8, 2, but its presence remains. And so fear often colors our, our faith, our hope, and our love. And so after his prayer in Genesis 32, 9 through 12, Jacob shows how, how fear can affect faith. And in today's chapter, Jacob sends a gift to Esau ahead of their meeting. Now, in the ancient Near East, people gave presents to a great man before visiting him. But Jacob's gift is excessive given the custom of the day. He offers hundreds of animals, all gain and pattern a ram. Coupled with this exorbitant gift is his address in which Esau is called Lord and Jacob's servant in verses 16 through 20 of Genesis 32. How does all of this reveal the level of Jacob's fear? Well, first, Jacob calls himself servant and Esau Lord, thereby setting Esau over him and returning the stolen blessing of lordship that, that was given in Genesis uh, 25, 20, 
3 and Genesis 27, 27 through 29. Now, this is a noble gesture only if Jacob is truly sorry for the way that he gained his blessing. But you see, Jacob is not yet fully renouncing the ungodly means that he used to seize the godly gift, as is evident in his lack of trust of the Lord to keep his word. He's still greatly afraid and distressed and even more concerned to save his own skin in Genesis 32, 7. Now, second, Jacob approaches Esau in the same way pagans approach their gods. And seeing them as capricious and vindictive, pagans offered sacrifices to get on the good side of their deities. Jacob, likewise, hopes to buy off his brother. The Hebrew word for present in, in this passage is the same word used for grain offering in Exodus 29:41. Now, biblical sacrifices are rooted in the glorious redemption of God. They do not bribe an arbitrary deity. God ordains them according to his unchanging holiness and mercy towards his own people. Yahweh is on the side of Jacob, and he should expect grace from Esau without buying him off. And yet Jacob stumbles trying to give his blessing to Esau for all the wrong reasons. Jacob's attempt to buy off his brother, it shows how little that he trusted the Lord to keep him safe as he returned to the promised land. He goes too far in trying to make amends with Esau, uh, unconsciously showing a willingness to give up the blessing that the Lord brought to him in Padamaram. Today, do you trust the Lord to provide for you even if you're greatly, even if you've greatly displeased him? If you come to rely on Christ alone, do not be like Jacob, but trust the Lord to provide for you. Now, from birth, the patriarch has been fighting against those around him. Jacob has initiated some struggles himself. He he took hold of Esau and, and his blessing underhandedly. Laban, his sneaky father-in-law, instigated Jacob's later difficulties. But no matter the source of his struggles, Jacob has tended to rely on his own stuff, his own situation, his own sufficiency, only slowly realizing that his efforts are worthwhile, worthless without God's approval. And yet we have this hope that this forefather in the faith will finally lean and trust the Lord. Haran, one of Abraham's stops on his travels from Ur to the Promised Land, was located in Paddan Aram, a region roughly encompassing the Euphrates River, or in, for us who are more modern, this is in modern-day Iraq. Now, in journeying from Paddan Aram to Canaan, Jacob initiates his grandfather Abraham to encouraging us that Isaac's son will one day trust Yahweh like Abraham did. Now, in our chapter today, Jacob comes ever closer to Canaan and, he, and even an encounter that will make him finally submit to the Lord. The setting is a Jabbok River, a fast-moving tributary that that move that flows into the River Jordan. Jacob is anxious over the upcoming meeting with Esau. This is plain in his willingness to cross the river at night. This feat alone would have been especially dangerous with no light to guide him, but Jacob is so unsettled that he presses ahead. Jacob stays behind as his family crosses a Jabbok, probably to make sure everyone gets across safely. Well, in any case, he's left alone, and he soon finds himself wrestling with a man until daybreak in verse 24. And although not apparent at first, this man really is an appearance of God himself, perhaps in the guise of the angel of the Lord. Now, Jacob's wrestling with the Lord will bring him great blessing, in much the same way as our engaging God blesses us. John Calvin agrees that this episode, this episode is paradynamic. Of, of our wrestling with the Lord today. When the Father tests us, we may find ourselves struggling with him, looking for the blessing in the midst of our trouble. This striving is not blasphemous. Wrestling with God can prove our faith if undertaking in the right spirit. 
Jesus shows us how we're to wrestle with God. In Gethsemane, our Savior and Lord thrice confessed his dread at his Father's wrath, asking him each time to let the cup of suffering pass. But each time this request was accompanied by a trusting resolve to do the will of God, whatever it may be, as we see in Mark 14, 32 through 42. Like Jesus, we may freely admit our fears to the Lord, but we must also be willing to submit to the Lord, no matter the difficulty it might bring. The Jacob who wrestles with the Lord on the banks of the river is very different from the Jacob who, by trusting himself, gained the blessing of Esau in Genesis 25-29-34. After his years as Laban's slave, Jacob has increasingly seen the impotence of his efforts apart from God's blessing, as we see in Genesis 31-4-16. And yet, his attempt to buy Esau's forgiveness in Genesis 32, it shows Jacob does not yet understand that he must rely on God alone. In our chapter today, Jacob learns the lesson the hard way. The Lord purposely tangles with Jacob in the night. Isaac's son is no fool. If Yahweh were to come in the daylight, Jacob would not have struggled with him because his divine foe's strength would be visible to the eye. By day, Isaac's son would rely on his own smarts and avoid a conflict he was sure to lose. And thus, he might again be confident that his own strength could save him. But you see, since the Lord came at night, when Jacob could not see him, God gets him to do the sensible thing from a man's perspective and fight back. Now, the Lord withholds his full might for a time to let Jacob think that he's winning. But just just when the patriarch thinks he has the upper hand, God puts his hip out of joint in verse 25. The Almighty did not tear Jacob's leg from its socket, as, as the Hebrew indicates he was wounded by a soft touch. Jacob clings to the Lord and begs him for a blessing as the force of this nudge begins to reveal the identity of this man. After all, only God has a strength to crush with a delicate tap. For too long, Jacob has assumed his skill is the primary factor in his success. And so in defeating the patriarch so easily, the Lord shows Jacob who has the power and who truly holds the key to his future. And so by implication, the wounding also teaches Jacob that he was really fighting against the Lord's holy character when he used dishonest tactics to secure Esau's birthright, even if the blessing was rightfully his. Today, the Lord still wounds his people. Perhaps like Paul, he will give us a thorn in the flesh to display his power and our weakness. Maybe God will use the stripes of men to discipline us like he did with David's son in 2 Samuel 7.14. And whatever the case, the Lord will not hesitate to wound us if it serves our good and his glory. Augustine reminds us that the touch of the Lord is the hand of the Lord, chastising and giving life in the works of St. Augustine 31.223. Too many Christians today run after the abundant, life-giving touch of God without being willing to receive chastisement from the Lord. It's not popular to say that, that the Lord at times may discipline his children, but Scripture is clear that sometimes he tears us down in order to build us up in Hosea 6.1. And God is good even in his discipline. Jacob has not only prevailed in grappling with men, but he also clings to God as he wrestles him. Bruised by the Lord, Jacob will not let Yahweh go until the Yahweh blesses him. God asks the, the patriarch to reveal his name before he favors him. Do not discount the importance of this question in Jacob's response. You see, despite his sin, the Lord has blessed Jacob, but he must fully submit to God for this blessing. Just as boys say uncle when they've lost a fight, Jacob yields to the Lord when he surrenders his name. Jacob also confesses his sin. His, his name can mean he cheats in addition to may, may God be your rear guard. The birthright of Isaac's firstborn rightly is his, but Jacob sees it unlawfully and he admits to being a crafty usurper when he calls himself Jacob. And so the Lord does not let Jacob's past define him. Instead, he forgives and no longer holds Jacob's sin against him. 
He renamed Jacob Israel, which loosely means El God fights. And so in, in the history of the nation of Israel, the Lord fought with and for his people, as we see in Exodus 14 and Jeremiah 1, 13 through 19. He also warred against Israel when he judged her and uh, through pagan armies in Judges 2, 11 through 14 in Jeremiah 21. Jacob's new name hints at his future, but we are also told that he is called Israel because he has prevailed in his struggle with God and with men in Genesis 32, 28. This being the case, how did Jacob prevail in his struggle with the Almighty God if he cried uncle? Well, understanding that the Lord wrestles with us whenever we are tempted or face trouble, it helps us answer this question. And although perfectly holy and never himself the author of sin, as James 1.13 says, the Lord is sovereign, and any evil that attacks or tempts us only comes by his permission, as we see in Isaiah 45.7 and 1 Corinthians 10.13. John Calvin comments, to, to fight against such things is, in some sense, to do battle with the Lord's hands, since he allows trials without being guilty of sin, for, for our good, as Romans 8.28 says. Now, Jacob prevailed in this battle by admitting his guilt and absolute dependence on the Lord, clinging to him with all of his might. Such cleaving is the only way we can prevail with the Lord and to trust him to work our, our good even when things are really, really hard. And when God sends trials our way, he's not working against us. He'll also deliver us from the travails he permits. John Calvin says, and as much as he supplies us with more strength to resist than he employs in opposing us, we may truly and properly say that he fights against us with his left hand and for us with his right hand. So let us imitate Jacob and cling to the Lord for blessing so that we may see the good things that the Lord has for us. As those able to look back on Jacob's life, we, we can divide his wrestling match with the Lord into particular segments and describe what he learned from each one. Jacob was not fully aware of these lessons before the struggle ended. For example, we've talked of Jacob's total submission to God when he gave up his name and held on for a blessing in Genesis 32, 26 through 28. And Jacob probably didn't know the full meaning of his capitulation until Yahweh left him. In our chapter today, it demonstrates this conclusion. In verse 29, Jacob asked his, uh, his sparring partner for his name, probably to gain an advantage over him, since to demand and to learn the name of another person in those days gave power to the one demanding the name. And so Jacob's question implies he still sees the man as more his equal than his superior. Israel is only beginning to see the man as he is. Now, God does not surrender his name when asked, which, as the Reformation Study Bible notes, shows that he must take the gracious initiative to reveal it. The Lord will not give his name to those who might try to invoke his control. In all likelihood, this refusal, coupled with the content of the blessing of God, it makes Jacob finally know that who he has wrestled with. In, in awe of the names, the place Penuel, for he has seen the Lord and been delivered. Now he realizes how fortunate he is to be alive since sinners cannot see the face of God and live. Matthew Henry writes, the name he Jacob gives, the place preserves and perpetuates only the honor of God's free grace. You see, no one walks away from the Lord unscathed. And Jacob gets a permanent limp to remind himself that he is not self-sufficient but must rely on God. And so to recall this moment and the grace shown to Jacob, the Israelites altered their eating habits according to Genesis 32, 32. John Christendom, an early bishop of Constantinople, calls this change a constant reminder for them of the kindness done by him, by God. Now, and just as the people of Israel did not eat the sciatic tendon because of this event, so too we gather around the Lord's table because of the great event of Christ's death on the cross. 
Now, Calvin comments on Jacob's wrestling with the Lord saying this, this passage teaches us always to expect the blessing of God, although we may have experienced his presence to be harsh and grievous, even to the disjoining of our members. And, and though his servants are at, at times a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, our Father will not destroy those who trust in him. Know that, that the Lord is eager to bless you if you belong to him. So we've been talking about God's way of relating to his creatures in the Old Testament and how, and how those ways compared to his dealings in the New Covenant has thus far focused on his relationship to all the nations. So we must also consider, though, how he is related to the nation he first chose to take his light to the world, the people of Israel. And in line with God's promise to multiply the offspring of Abraham, Old Covenant Israel consisted mainly of the physical descendants of the patriarch through his son Isaac. Abraham's children, however, did not bear the name Israel until the Lord intervened in the life of a man who was perhaps the most likely candidate ever to receive divine blessing. This man was Jacob, Isaac's younger son. Humanly speaking, few of us would have chosen Jacob for the great honor because he spent a good deal of his life deceiving others and even cheating to get his way. Jacob preyed on his brother's weakness and stole his birthright, conspired with his mother to deceive his father in, Genesis, in chapter 27, and did not turn the other cheek when his uncle Laban uh, cheated him. Throughout his life, Jacob displayed a disturbing tendency to rely on himself and not on the Lord's presence and power. Well, all that changed when he wrestled with a man on the borders of the promised land. And this was no ordinary man. He was able to wrench Jacob's hip out of a joint with a light tap, according to Genesis 32, 25. And Jacob came to learn that he had been wrestling face to face with God himself. And so generations of Christian interpreters have seen in this wrestling match about between Jacob and the pre-incarnate manifestation of the Son of God. And in the middle of the match, the, the man forced Jacob to speak his name, which has significance. The name Jacob means something like a deceiver or a cheater. And in giving his name to the man, Jacob is really confessing his sinful self-reliance on his own way. As a sign of Jacob's uh, forgiveness and transformation, the patriarch was given the new name Israel, uh, the name by which all future generations of God's people will be known. And true Israelites by faith would wrestle like Jacob did, holding on to the Lord with all their might that they might find blessing. Well, the weight of our chapter today lies in the fact that Jacob wrestled with God. Note, however, that Jacob could sustain the struggle only because of the Lord's grace to him. Matthew Henry comments, we cannot prevail with God, but in his own strength. It is his spirit who intercedes with us and helps us in our weakness. So commitment to the Lord in good and bad times depends on the help of the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is February 1st, and we've looked at Genesis 32. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.